0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.
1: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith,
0: co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
1: Welcome to A Gut Feeling. I'm your host, Jacqueline Renee, holistic health coach with a very extreme passion for gut health. I've made it my mission to help you get to the bottom, pun definitely intended, of all your digestive distress. My intention is to be completely transparent about what it truly takes to get your gut back on track. Welcome back to a gut feeling podcast. Thank you guys so much for returning. And I want to just give you guys a little shout out. Thank you so much to everybody who's left a review. Those are super helpful. When you leave a review for a gut feeling on iTunes, you're not just helping me, but you're helping everyone else understand if it's something that they want to listen to, if they're experiencing the same issue. So I really appreciate you for leaving the reviews. And if you haven't yet, please go to iTunes and leave a little review for me. I appreciate it. So anyways, today I'm super excited because we're digging into more about bloating and gut issues, of course. And we're really going to dig into something that I feel like is some, is very overlooked when it comes to digestive health. So you guys have heard me in previous episodes talk a lot about chewing more for bloating or mindful eating when it comes to bloating or, you know, combining your food in certain ways or intermittent fasting, these different things that we put in play to allow the digestive system to be in the rest and digest and to fully digest your food. But there is something that I think is overlooked very often. And, you know, this is something called low acidity. And I decided, well, if we're going to talk about low acidity, we have to bring the master of low acidity in. So So we have my special guest today, Dr. Sarah Kirsch. She is the owner of Balanced Health and Wellness Clinic in Berkeley, Michigan. Um, So it's a chiropractic, excuse me, and functional medicine nutrition clinic that she has owned for 10 years, I believe. And um, so recently she has started switching her business a little bit over more to functional medicine and she's been taking clients via telehealth inside of um, quarantine too. And last year, additionally, she created the Classroom, which is the wellness workshop space that has tons of educational classes that are extra affordable for people that want all this education. And Sarah and I, Dr. Kirsch and I work together on clients and patients. So she'll take them first and kind of get their intake and do a lot of diagnostic testing to get to the root cause. And then I'll assist her and help her through with health coaching to get that client to really, you know, get to their fully healed self or where they need to be in their healing journey. So thank you, Dr. Sarah Kirsch for joining me on my podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, me too, because I love talking about bloating. And we're really going to talk about that a lot today. So So can you tell us a little bit more, you know, obviously these videos and podcasts that I'm doing currently are inside of the quarantine and, and we're dealing with a lot here. And I actually think it's brought up a lot for people when it comes to their health issues. Like we're really isolated with them. So it's almost like we want to deal with them more. And so can you tell us a little bit more about your practice inside quarantine and how you're navigating with your patients?
0: Yeah. So as you mentioned, my my clinic is um, a chiropractic clinic, but also we do functional medicine. And so, um, you know, we are able now to be treating patients inside of our office uh, for chiropractic care. But, um, you know, one thing that's interesting is like just before this pandemic started, you know, I've kind of shifted to bring my practice more online so that a lot of times, patients don't have the ability to drive or leave their home to come do a consult, and so it's been um, nice that I kind of had all of those measures in place that we and you helped me with that a lot. But um, trying to get everything set up so that we are able to work remotely, and this pandemic, interestingly enough, has kind of just pushed me forward with that, so we're able to still. You know, I can still do the same history that I'm doing and seeing a person face to face. A lot of times I'm, you know, looking at things like what does their hair look like? What does their skin look like? What do their nails look like? And so a lot of that I can still actually do via telehealth, um, you know, because I do a face to face interaction. And then, of course, everything else that I look at is like symptoms and, and laboratory work and um, and just trying to, you know, dig in a little deeper than a lot of um, practitioners do. And I'm still able to do that. And then we also have the chat availability so we can keep in communication with our patients. So it's actually been really, um, really nice to have that all set up prior to the pandemic, what's going on right now.
1: Yeah, totally. I think there are a lot of businesses who had to scramble to kind of get it going. So, you know, Mm -hmm. luckily, we were able to kind of have it in that way. And yeah, the video sessions are incredible. I love that. So can you tell everyone how, cause you know, everyone, you know, I often talk to my clients or other people, like, who do I see? What do I do? And they just aren't aware of how a session might go, or even the work that goes into it outside of the session. You know, I often find myself explaining that too. So can you tell everyone how a typical session would go in regards to like an initial session with you?
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of times people, when I, when I get into an initial session, they've already had a discovery call, either with yourself or me as well, um, and it's just so we already kind of have an idea that you know we're a good fit for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, when that happens, we usually have you fill out your paperwork. So prior to you coming in, I'm looking at your paperwork, mm-hmm. which is pretty in depth. So it's you know maybe about. 15 pages worth of information that I'm looking over ahead of time, probably even more than that. Um, but I'm reviewing all of these pa- all all of these questions that I asked, um, specifically to get at certain issues. Um, and I have a good idea of where I'm headed when with a patient, as far as what I feel like my goals are for them um, to work on. But then I talk to a patient when I get on the call with them, I want to hear their story. And I want to hear, you know, what their life circumstances are, what are they dealing with? You know, do they have two jobs, or they're working full time, or they have five kids? I mean, all of those factor into the plan that we're going to be able to do. So a lot of times, you know, after speaking to a patient or hearing that they've tried a certain approach already and it did or didn't work for them, I might shift what I already think in my mind based on what I'm looking at their paperwork. So that call that I'm, you know, it's really just getting to know my patient and getting to know what their needs are. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, um, I also look at lab work. So I would look at anything that maybe their primary care has run so that I'm not, um, you know, doing a test that's already been run on them in the past Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, just trying to be mindful of saving costs. Um, and then I might recommend any labs that I see that maybe are, are needed for that patient. And then we might, kind of come up with a plan together, what we think is maybe the most important thing to work on first, and then we'll have kind of phases laid out for the course of the next, you know, six months to a year, you know, I want to first work on this and we're going to follow up, you know, so we kind of have like a plan by the end of the call. And then um, something that you have been really helpful with is just kind of making sure that I get all of these documents and everything to the patient that they have access to it on the internet portal And, um, and that they have support with with that. So that's kind of how the whole process goes. So that one hour that we're together is really, really great. But it's also the work that goes in before and afterwards of kind of putting everything together for the patients.
1: Yeah. And I will say to this too, I've actually, I've worked, you know, everyone knows my story that listens to my podcast or follows me that I've was bounced around from doctor to doctor so many times for 15 years or more. And what I really love about working for you or just you as a practitioner in general is that what basically what you said is like you're taking into consideration these things more than anything, you're really listening to that story. Like I watch you just like, like let them let it rip, like tell, tell us everything that's going on. And I've been to countless appointments where I'm spitting out different segments of my of my healing journey. And I don't think they're really putting it together. And that's why I don't feel like I've gotten very far. So I almost wish I would have found you, you know, maybe five or seven years earlier. Um, So I could have worked with you in general and not just for you. Right. Yeah. Um, so, but, but I love that because if you guys are listening, anyone listening, I know that you guys are probably struggling. Like, who do I see? What do I do while well, seeing a, you know, functional medicine practitioner like this is like the best place to start because someone actually listens to your journey. And, you know, she also too, uh, Dr. Kirsch knows if, if you need to be resourced out, she can give you those resources too, without, you know, um, right. Yeah. So so I know like, you you know, you've been working with clients on digestive health for a long time. And so have I. And no, one of the number one complaints we always hear off the bat is bloating it's like immediate, like this uncomfortable feeling, gotta take my pants off, all this stuff. Although inside of quarantine, the sweatpants have been really nice. Um, But bloating is like a huge topic. And, you know, just for a second, I wanna touch on like, what is bloating essentially? So people really understand, like, cause some people are like, I don't know if I'm bloated, but I feel it. So what can we kind of tell them if that is a cue for them?
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, bloating from my perspective, of course, is like, what is actually happening? So what happens is that it's kind of a combination of undigested food Mm -hmm. and bacteria fermenting that food, which can cause Gas, so sometimes the it's the the bloating is or the burping or the gas is like really just the bloating trying to escape. So mm-hmm. um, some people just have a lot of that without having feeling the sensation of bloating, or maybe they're just so used to being bloated that they don't even think about it anymore. Mm-hmm. But that's mm-hmm. essentially what is happening, and it's causing distension and for some people discomfort. I mean, some people call it their food baby. You know, when they <laughs> after they eat. And I think that's one thing that I love about you is that you've really brought bloating to the center of attention because I think so many people, you know, just mark it off like, you know, it's something that I feel, but I don't really think about it. I don't really think there's anything I can do about it. And, um, you know, but often there's other factors
1: happening at the same time that, um, you know, it's all related. Absolutely. And I think it is like, oftentimes we think like bloating, oh yeah, I have bloating, but the other issues are so much bigger, but bloating is really the beginning of a lot of our issues. And so once we really address that is really where we dig in and, and that's what we're talking about today. So, you know, we, we talk about chewing more, all of the stuff, but we haven't really dug into low acidity and I'm so excited for you to talk about it. Can you explain more about low acidity as it relates to bloating and why it's often over looked by so many, you know, like why we forget about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know,
0: getting to know your digestive process is really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. I think you do shed a lot of light on that. Like you talk about chewing the food, which is the most important part of the digestive process because it takes these big particles of food and breaks it down. Mm -hmm. Right. But um, beyond that, you have chemical digestion. So you have, you know, you have enzymes that are in your mouth that help you start to digest carbohydrates. But as far as protein goes, um, it is much better at digested by acid in your stomach and then digestive enzymes that are produced by your pancreas mm-hmm. that also help you to digest your, not only your protein, but your carbohydrates and your fat. And so... The acid in your stomach is such an important part of this because it just helps you start to break down like the in, in acid I'm referring to is the lower pH within the stomach, and it's mostly contained within the stomach. It's not supposed to be in your esophagus. It's not supposed to be in your small intestine. It's supposed to be contained in the stomach. So as soon as you start to smell food or you start to think about food, your stomach will start to produce acid. Okay, and then once the food actually hits the stomach and the stomach begins to distend or get larger because the presence of food, your body is even triggered more to produce acid. And then in addition, when it senses that there is protein in, in your meal, it's also supposed to create more production of stomach acid. Mm -hmm. But there's so many people, I think, first of all, anyone over the age of 50 or 55, they're starting to prove that they're producing less acid. And I'm seeing it more and more in the younger crowd. So if they're producing less acid, think about it. You're not getting that initial digestion of proteins. And not only is the acid there to break down the food, it's also there to create a signal. So once the signal, you know, once the acidity starts to reach the small intestine, it is a signal to your pancreas to dump a lot of enzymes in there to help facilitate continued digestion of this food past the stomach. So if that signal is low, if, you're, if you don't have enough acid in your stomach, that signal is not getting to the pancreas and the pancreas is not going to be doing its job of dumping in more digestive enzymes. So that's why I say when you have bloating, it's a combination of undigested food and low acidity is such a huge part of undigested food. Not only not chewing your food, right? Again, mechanical digestion is the first part, but the second part is this chemical digestion. And so it's not only age and potentially genetics that's causing your low acidity, but think about how many people are getting some kind of, Digestive upset and just popping Tums without even thinking about it Mm -hmm. with their symptoms of bloating or heartburn that they're getting. So they're taking acid blockers or they're taking um, H2 antagonists, which is another form of an acid blocking medication. Those are prescribed but they're also just taking, without thinking about it, tons, And it, yeah. even on the bottle, it's like, do not take this for an extended period of time without talking to yeah. your doctor. And that's because it has a lot of, you know, effects, which I'm sure we'll talk about soon. But, um, you know, the biggest thing is that not having enough acid is just reducing your body's ability to digest the food. Then you have this undigested food. And then your bacteria in your stomach or not in your stomach, usually in your intestine. Um, if you have overgrowth of bad bacteria, mm-hmm. it's causing, you know, they'll start to do the digesting for, for you. They're feeding on your food, on your undigested food, and that will cause more symptoms. Yeah. The reason why a lot of times um, small bacterial or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth can occur also is because when we ingest food, we're probably ingesting um, bacteria with it, you know, and acid is supposed to be there to kill it. So then if you also have lower acidity, you have increased chances of getting infections.
1: Yeah. Well, that was an awesome explanation. Thank you. Like I'm sure a lot of people are like, Oh, well, <laughs> that makes sense. But also like, and I'm going off script just a little bit here really quickly because I didn't really think to ask you, there's something that we're doing that is causing, because you said you're seeing it in younger people now. And actually, um, I experienced this too, um, when I was only like 31 or 32, what are the things that are causing us to have low acidity? Is it our food? Is it our lifestyle? Like, do we know really what's triggering this acidity to go lower and us to have to try and boost it? You
0: no, know, I think, um, that's a really good question. It's, it's, um, I think, partly genetic. I'm seeing more and more. It's like my mom has the same issues and my grandfather had stomach issues. And I think that there is a genetic component to this. Um, As far as, you know, lifestyle factors, I'm not really sure, actually, if there is anything in particular that's causing lower acidity. I just know all of the factors that lead to the more lead you to be more susceptible to increased bacterial overgrowth or dysbiosis, mm-hmm. which causes more of the symptoms. And then what I think is happening is just the quick—you know—people are just running to take antacids. Right, one of the most highly used medications.
1: Right. Um, you know, so I think so the more you take different. an acid, the more you take tar- it. Right. The more you're reducing your own body's natural response to creating acid to break down food in your stomach.
0: Right. So taking an antacid causes indigestion. Right. You know, and then so it's like a fueling a self-fueling um, cycle Psycho. that you kind of yeah. suck in, and then you're taking it because you're feeling heartburn, but really. Um, one of the big distinguishing factors that I see with my patients is people that truly have high acidity, and there are people out there that do, right? Mm-hmm. Not that everybody has low acid production, but the people that have high acid production or overproducing acid will often get um, their symptoms of heartburn immediately after eating. So you know, within twenty minutes of eating a meal, but a lot of people get it you know, an hour and a half to two hours after eating a meal, which means tells me that the food is not being digested and then it's sitting too long. And then there can be a rebound effect of overproduction of acid over time because the food is still just sitting there. Right. And that instant, you know, production, like you're supposed to, you shouldn't get heartburn two hours later. Your food should be well beyond the stomach by that point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And for those of you that need a little catch up as far as how it goes, when we digest, you can listen to podcasts one or two. I believe the name is chew on this. And then another one is called bloating. You can go back and learn a little bit more about this digestive process that we're specifically talking about, because then you'll really be able to understand, you know, what we're saying when it comes to the stomach. You guys have heard me make reference to the Destiny's Child of Digestion. You know, your Beyonce is the liver and, you know, um, moving with your pancreas and your gallbladder in with your stomach. So go back and listen to those if this feels like a little bit further than you need to be. And then this will make a lot of sense when it comes to, you know, what we're saying one-hour after digestion two hours after digestion because the process really does take four hours but it should be fully digested and not causing these issues Um, so really like well now everyone's like okay well i'm wondering if i have low acidity so how do you test for it and what do they need to do to fix for it fix it excuse me
0: right so um There are a few different ways that you can actually test for low acidity in your stomach. The gold standard in the medical world is going to be the Heidelberg test, but I want to say it's a several hundred dollars. And I've actually never recommended the patient go and do that because there are much cheaper methods to try to figure it out. Um, One of the the ways that I use it in my office is we actually give a patient and a supplement containing betaine HCL, which is a form of acid and in combination with pepsin, which is another um, part of the digestive process. So those two in combination, You take them and, you know, essentially with a protein containing meal. So if you're a meat eater, you would want to take this when you're eating a meal with meat, Um, ideally within, you know, just after you start eating a meal. And then um, if you get heartburn right away, then it's a sign that you're already producing Enough acid right if you don't have any symptoms of heartburn like burning or heaviness in your chest. Um, it's a good indication that your um, acid production is too low and so I've had patients you know take up to you know and it depends on the dosage so uh, but the one that I give up to four or five of these and have absolutely no symptoms, and mm-hmm. so that's definitely a sign that acid production is low and if you think about it's not only just having those heartburn symptoms, but when you have low acidity for a long period of time, you're going to have less production or I'm sorry, less absorption of certain vitamins and minerals. So calcium, for example, um, iron, for example, to a lesser degree, but also magnesium and zinc, and then B12, all of these vitamins need acid. And so if you think about if you're having this for a long period of time, you know, five years, let's say, you're taking Tums all the time, a lot of people will develop um, neuropathies or other kind of signs or symptoms, Um, osteoporosis, you're putting yourself at an increased risk for that or anemia. So, um, you know, it's just... Sorry, I kind of got off topic there, but so you no, know, it's yeah. all good information. You yeah. know, yeah, I just think that um, that when you can identify this, it's so eye-opening, and I think that's why for so many patients, I, I think this is such a great topic today because so many people just think that they have too much acid because it's all they hear about in the media and on uh,
1: commercials. Yeah, like acid. Right, right, but actually low acidity right, and yeah.
0: so so many patients i've been able to kind of wean them um, you know with the help of their doctor, but wean them off because most doctors don't want to prescribe these medications anyway, they know that they have side effects, they know that they create um, you know, low, uh, vitamin and mineral status. And so nobody wants to do that, but it's, it's also, you know, looking at what you're eating, can you actually digest this food? So,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that is a really important part is, you know, I, I've been through this too, where I was up to three or four of these and I, you know, I eat mostly paleo diet, you know, people that follow me know, like I'm eating meat. And then I was experiencing all these issues. As soon as I started using these enzymes with, with working with you, um, I was like, wow, like I don't need all these extra vitamins because I'm getting my vitamins from my food. I'm digesting my food. The bloating is gone. That feeling of like that burning is gone. Um, but it is, you know, I do think we did talk about this before we started the show that it is important to not just do this yourself. Right. Right. Absolutely. I mean, there's there
0: are times when taking this acid containing uh, digestive enzyme is not a good idea, such as if you have a um, an ulcer, for example, or if you have lower esophageal dysfunction, Um mm-hmm. Or you have Barrett's esophagus, which is a condition that could predispose you to a certain t- type of cancer. You don't want to be taking in these, in, in, in these conditions um, or a, hi- a hiatal hernia. These are some of the ones. But you really want to make sure that you're doing this with a doctor and making sure that the signs and symptoms are there for the need.
1: Yeah. No. Yeah. Don't do this test at home. You know, uh, let's, you know, get you with a health professional or to see Dr. Sarah Kirsch so that you're, you're not just testing this blindly because you can really cause more damage. That's the most important part. Uh, And that is specifically why I had a doctor on today and I didn't just, you know, spit the information out because it is important to see one. So can you tell us really quickly, like how, where can people find you? How can they work with you? Cause I'm sure they're going to want to know this information going forward. Yes. My web,
0: my website is com, And again, we're not again, but we are redoing our website pretty soon to add more information on functional medicine. So if you're not seeing it there, but that has all my contact information so you can reach me. Um, I'm also starting to do lives on Facebook And um, probably Instagram as well. See what Mm -hmm. does to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so I'm trying to cover some, you know, very common topics of what I see in my clinic um, as well. And so those lives are going to be every Friday around two o'clock
1: awesome so you guys head over to bewellmi.com or go to Facebook balanced health and wellness and also on Instagram you can follow balanced health Berkeley um, and you can find all that information in addition you can book a discovery call we're going to provide all the links in the show notes and if you don't see the show notes there you can head over to Facebook when this video posts and we'll have the show notes there as well so thank you so much Dr. Sarah Kirsch for coming you and explaining the to everybody we mm-hmm. appreciate it if Also, guys, if you haven't had the chance to listen back to some of the healing journeys of some of the clients that we've worked with, I highly recommend that you do that because when you feel overwhelmed, it can be very eye-opening and helpful to see that other people have had help through this. So definitely do that. And thank you guys again so much for listening. And as always, happy healing.